Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues, the podcast where me and my hetero life mate Dom talk about father and son issues in popular culture. Um, I am your co-host, David Bryan, and, and with me as always is, is your fearless leader and, and spiritual guru, Dominic Archer. Hi Dom, how's it going? To be honest, I'm a little upset you described me as your hetero life partner. Um, <laughs> Because I feel like you've marginalised our relationship in in some way. You you've cut off some boundaries, and I wasn't going to discuss this with uh, with your girlfriend Laura. But I thought you know maybe maybe things were open you know a little bit more open than uh, than you you know. But it's all right. It's fine. I mean, I mean it's 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 always in flux. Only time will tell. You know, nothing's <laughs> set in stone. Oh, you know what I was going to say to Laura? I was going to say, fuck off, he's mine. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a little bit set in stone, that. <laughs> You're meant to keep it oh. nice and loose and, you know, yeah, come I mean, in and out. It was supposed to be a bit more loosey-goosey, but um, I'm a possessive, I'm a possessive hetero-life partner. <laughs> Seems that way. Um, yeah. So, today we're talking about something a little bit different. Um, we're not talking so much about a film or... A comic book or graphic novel or a TV show. Um, I uh, I wanted to talk to you about a real life um, father and son relationship, um, kind of embedded in popular culture because they it involves musicians. Um, so uh, yeah, as anyone who's read the title will know, this is mainly going to be about a uh, folk singer songwriter Loudon Wainwright the third, and I particularly wanted to bring here, talk to him. Sorry, talk to you about him and his relationship with his son. Rufus Wainwright, who is also mm. a singer-songwriter. And actually, in, in, in researching this and everything, I found out there's quite a lot of interesting stuff going backwards as well between Loudon Wainwright III and his dad, Loudon Wainwright Jr. But um, So it's going to be a bit of a, a triple, triple-pronged attack. Uh, but had you, had you heard of uh, Loudon Wainwright III before I uh, brought him up to you? No, I heard of Rufus Wainwright through popular culture. And if you said, oh, what's a Rufus Wainwright song? I would have gone, <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't have told you. Um, Loudon Wainwright, I, I don't know if I'd ever heard of. So much so that when I Wikipedia'd him, it said, redirect to Lethal Weapon 3. And <laughs> I was like, you know what? I do enjoy Lethal Weapon 3. Um, but I did redirect... Okay. Yeah, I, no, I stayed I stayed with it. I thought, what's fucking Joe Pesci up to this time? But I didn't look. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, good. I'm glad you, glad you stayed the course. Because, yeah, often uh, stylized as LW3 can leave yes. people getting confused between a, a 1970s folk singer and the third in the Lethal Weapon franchise. So, so well done. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's interesting Thank that you said you'd heard of Rufus Wainwright because I'd actually... Um, I came to, upon Rufus first. Uh, I guess I must have been like sort of eighteen, nineteen, twenty when I was mm. being. Uh, I was hearing a lot of music I'd never heard before, from uh, mostly from actually the place that I worked. Um, and there was a few older guys who worked there who would put on their music on the stereo when the supervisor wasn't around because she would only let us play like the now whatever we were on pop music. Um, so he would offer he threw some Rufus Wainwright songs on a mix CD, and I was like, this guy sounds interesting. And I went away and, and learned a little bit about him. And he's a very interesting kind of musician. I, don't, I can't think of many other people that sound like him. But my my route into Loudon Wainwright the third, the third, Loudon Wainwright the third. I don't know where the inflection should be. 
I reckon we can just call him. I think we can just call him Loudon Wainwright. Right, I think yeah. we can we can establish now we're not fucking talking about Loudon Wainwright the first or senior or junior. We're explicitly talking about you know the Return of the Jedi, Loudon Wainwright, Revenge of the Sith, Loudon Episode Wainwright. Three. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah Revenge which... of the Sith. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I am going to bring up previous iterations of uh, of the of the LW, but yeah, more primarily Loudon Wainwright. I came upon him in kind of a roundabout way where. Um, I uh, actually it's it was flipping Elliot it was our good friend Elliot who sent me a song that was a cover version by um, Bombay Bicycle Club one of my mm. favorite bands they had done a cover of a song called Motel Blues uh, which I absolutely fell in love with and remains one of my favorite songs it's absolutely incredible and uh, eventually after just rinsing that one song over and over again for months and months I went back and found out who had done the original and it was Loudon Wainwright and his version is is different it's it does sound very much of its time but I thought okay this guy's interesting and obviously uh Jack Stedman from Bombay Bicycle Club the lead singer-songwriter from that band obviously is into them so I delved into it that way um so uh yeah Rufus and Loudon I both kind of gradually picked up different albums of theirs and got into them and they just remained part of my lexicon and then what really made me think that this uh, that he could be interesting to talk about in, in this context for the podcast was a couple of years ago when I heard him as a guest on WTF with Mark Marin. With Mark Marin. Yeah. Excuse me. <coughs> he was a guest on that gonna podcast. You were going to say, what's up, what the fuckers, weren't you? But you ended up <laughs> coughing instead. I should have done the whole intro. What's up, what the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? <laughs> I'm got to cut this out because this is probably... This is, uh, if it's, it's not in breach of copyright... Yeah, it's at yeah. least plagiarism, and I don't want to be known for that. Um, so yeah, a couple of years ago, I heard this interview, which was recorded in December of 2017, and he, I think at that point, Loudon was had just released a memoir, and in that book, he had written quite frankly about his relationships with his kids, who, as I mentioned, Rufus is one who ended up being a singer songwriter. He also had a daughter, Martha Wainwright, who was also a singer songwriter. Um, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that name. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, Sorry, and, yeah, I had to just, derail it with a Zack Snyder reference. You did. You, re, you completely derailed it. And now, now I'm, I'm upset. But okay, we'll get back on track. Um, yes. So what I, but what I hadn't ever known about was that Loudon's relationships with his children were very fractured and um, very troubled. Um, and they weren't just revealed in this new memoir that came out a few years ago. Actually, they had been writing songs about each other for most of their Ooh, careers. Gossip. And yeah, and so it was always kind of in the limelight to the extent that, uh, uh, you know, these weren't like superstars. Rufus is probably the most famous of, of the three, really. Um, at least in the modern day, Loudon was big for a short spell in that sort of folk boom of the 70s. But um, I, if you don't mind... I'll go back very briefly and talk about Loudon Wainwright Jr., who was um, Loudon Wainwright III's dad. He was actually a very esteemed columnist for Life magazine for oh. decades. Um, and he got to interview some amazing people while he was working there. He interviewed Martin Luther King. He interviewed Robert Kennedy. He interviewed Marilyn Monroe. He interviewed the Maharishi. So he was, as far as journalistic circles were going, he was a really big name. And during these decades, 60s, 70s, 80s sort of time, Life magazine was the biggest magazine in the world 
so he was very a very successful person in his own right and eventually he kind of uh, spent most of his time doing like an editorial column um called the view from here where he would talk mostly about his own life and his own experiences and stuff and um loudon uh in my research i i think i mentioned to you loudon wainwright has a sort of special show documentary kind of thing on netflix at the moment called yes uh, surviving twin i don't know if you did you have a chance to have a look at that no no i didn't ask you to so that's fine that was no yeah I, I came to this with a, as, as little knowledge as uh yeah as I could. well it's that that sort of documentary it's like a a special where it's like a, a one-man show kind of thing where um he does some songs but what i had no idea about until i started watching it was that it actually is mostly about his relationship with his father and the title surviving twin actually refers to um a song that he had written uh, many years previous, I think, uh, which he performs at the beginning of the show, which talks about um, how he's gotten older. People start saying, "You don't you look so much like your dad," mm. and uh, especially since uh, Loudon grew a beard in, suddenly everyone's like, "Man, when your dad was your was your age, you looked you could be twins." And he kind of the way Loudon way writes songs often go. He's 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 a songwriter who is very biographical they always tell stories and they often are perspectives from his life but they're also quite humorous like he's got a good um handle on language and you can inject a lot of humor into his songs and it's great so what go what starts off as a kind of song that's very uh um yeah very just sort of retrospective and you know isn't it interesting that you know me and my dad ended up being quite alike um it then goes to that kind of dark kind of dark twist with the title of surviving twin you know and reading the t- obviously reading the title of the show i never thought it was going to go that way but um it turns out that the relationship that he had with his dad was not a good one um his dad was kind of cold and distant um to him even though they he had some uh, loud and had a lot of privilege like they, they he grew up in kind of a preppy area in upstate new york um so he was never really wanting for anything uh, but his relationship with his dad was something that was sort of beyond his reach and it's only in kind of doing this show and writing that memoir that i mentioned it was kind of around the same time 2017 2018 sort of time that he kind of learned who his dad was and so this show that he did surviving twin was a mixture of him performing his own songs interlaced with him reading uh, articles from this column of the view from here and often the songs uh, parallel this these uh, things. But he, it's amazing. if you get a chance to watch it, and anyone listening, if you get a chance to watch that show, Surviving Twin, it's really cool. It's really interesting. Um, the songs are, are great. And he somehow, he's memorized these, uh, these articles that he reads in his sort of father's voice. Like he kind of sets, mm. stands in character as his father and, and reads these stories and then goes back to himself playing the songs. It's, it's really cool. Um, so maybe maybe it's a good time now for me to play our first song. Um, this kind of maybe sums up this little relationship. As I want you to have a listen to um, A Father and a Son uh, by Loudon Wainwright, um, which is from his album History, which it turns out is like the seminal album if I'm, you're looking at far, his relationship with his father because he wrote it after his father passed away um, in the late 80s and the album came out in the early 90s. But... Um, if you, I'll play that for you now. How's that? Yeah, great. Nice. 
When I was your age, I was just like you, and just look at me now, I'm sure you do. But your grandfather was just as bad, and you should have heard him trash his dad. Life's no picnic, that's a given. My mom's mom died when my mom was seven. My mom's father was a tragic guy, but he was so distant that nobody knows why. Now your mother's family, you know them. Each and every one a gem, each and every one a gem. When I was your age, I was a mess. On a bad day, I still am, I guess. I think I know what you're going through. Everything changes, but nothing is new, and I know that I'm miserable. Can't you see? I just want you to be just like me. Boys grow up to be grown men, and then men change back into boys again. You're starting up, and I'm winding down. Ain't it big enough for us both in this town? Say it's big enough for us both in this town. When I was your age, I thought I hated my dad, and that the feeling was a mutual one that we had. We fought each other day and night. I was always wrong, and he was always right. But he had the power; he needed to win. His life half over, mine about to begin. I'm not sure about that edible stuff, but when we were together, it was always rough. Hate is a strong word. Wanna backtrack? The bigger the front, the bigger the back. The bigger the front, the bigger the back. Now you and me are me and you, and it's a different ball game, though not brand new. I don't know what all of this fighting is for. We're having us a teenage middle age war. I don't wanna die, and you wanna live. It takes a little bit to take, a whole lot to give. Never really ends though we trace his run. This thing between a father and a son. Maybe it's power, push and shove. Maybe it's hate, probably it's love. Maybe it's hate, probably it's love. So there we go. I uh, I asked you to have a look at the lyrics as we were listening to that. Mm. What uh, what do you what do you make of it? First impressions, I suppose. I think for me, the third verse is the uh, is the most prevalent. Uh, I I love the um, uh, the first line. When I was your age, I thought I hated my dad, and then by the end of the verse, he started to change his mind. Hate's a strong word, and I want to backtrack, but. The bigger the front, then the bigger the back. Yeah. And um, the uh, the generational regret over relationships with your with your father and your parents, and um, uh, watching the same conflicts develop between uh, between generations, 
um, and that kind of inevitability, and also that um, that absolute desperation to not go through, to not to repeat the same cycle that uh, that he went through. So obviously, this is Loudon Wainwright the third writing this for Rufus Wainwright. Yeah, right. He, from the first line, when when I was your age, yeah. I was just like you. Yeah, yeah. So he said the song is a father and a son, and it's similar to, uh, uh, is it the Cat Stevens song, Father and Son? Father and Son, yeah. Yeah, which is another great track. We'll we'll have to come back to at some point. But again, that's that has a similar theme, a similar idea, where it's um, advice being given to the son. Um, whilst also reflecting on the difficulties of the the father and son relationship as it is, um, and here it is, it's very much a um, oh dear God, don't let it be, don't let this be what my relationship was with my father because you're my son and I love you, but I fucking hated my dad and <laughs> and yeah. uh, and I I don't want you to hate me in the way that I hated him because I love you. But maybe I didn't hate him. Maybe it was the strain that was put on us. But I can't change the way things were then. Maybe I can try and change things now for us. Um, yeah. But as we, as we know about uh, the, why we've chosen this topic in the first place, um, the, so- the song sounds like it was much needed for their relationship. And also not very successful in... Um, maintaining a, a strong relationship for the two of them yeah no i think that that's just, that's quite astute from what from from what i've been reading about the the whole the whole family really is yeah very much um this is a song written when it was too late for loudon and his dad and um it was 20 plus years before he really came to any place of forgiveness of his for his dad mm-hmm. um and um, it's actually quite a while really in the timeline from this point where like you say he's writing to Rufus saying when I was my your age I was just like you and I hate my dad and things were shitty and but that let's try not to make that happen again the the healing didn't happen anyone who can hear my dog barking in the background I don't apologize because I love him very much and he can bark all he wants um Um, yeah it was quite a while after this song came out in the early 90s before there was any kind of real reconciliation between him and Rufus Um, and we'll get into why there was such a strain in the family um, in a minute but I wonder I know uh, you and I have spoken um, before and you'll forgive me for for forgetting if this was off or on pod but Mm. about um, the conflict you have um, about the possibility of you having your own children in the future mm-hmm. and whether you've uh, whether that's kind of by the by but really it's about whether you look at your relationship with your dad and with your stepdad and you go are there um are are there things that's happened with me that i will try my damnedest to avoid if i'm ever in, if ever in a position to be a father and mm-hmm. do you think that they the neg- some of the negative things will reoccur or do you think you'll be able to avoid them sorry i'm getting heavy i didn't mean to get so heavy no so no no see, <laughs> see this this uh this is from the first episode of our our therapy podcast that we recorded and now don't know if we're going to be able to release 
because it got a li- because it got too heavy too fast in that podcast. Um, but that that was something that we brought up on that one. So it was on pod, just not on this pod, and maybe a okay. pod that no one no one will ever hear. But um, um, I think the biggest the biggest thing uh, point of difference between us maybe between you and me is that the when I approach my own relationships and uh, and marriage and children and things like that um i approach all of them with the specter of divorce hanging very heavily over my head like a uh, a sword of damocles style situation um mm-hmm. where because my parents got divorced when when i was 4 um and i think it's pretty fair to say that almost all of my uh my uh problems uh derived from um my problems of needing love and attention are derived from uh from from this situation and so one of the big um the big considerations for me is always would this relationship last right because i don't want to have kids and then get a divorce and then they go through the same thing that the same thing that i did um which is especially difficult now because if you are divorced, you are more likely to be divorced yourself statistically, and oh, because really? there are more more children of divorced parents, um, no way. Well, that, that doesn't make any sense. I need to to reword what I said earlier. If you are the child of divorced parents, you are more likely to get divorced yourself, right? Right. And um, because there are more children of divorced parents, it means you are more likely to be with somebody else who is the child of divorced parents, which means you're twice as likely to... to, to <laughs> Multiply the odds a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it becomes exponential. Um, so when it comes to, to something like this, and to a song like this, and considering children and, and stability and things like that, the paranoia of how would my relationships my uh my you know my my loving relationships with a partner how would that affect the the children that i'm that i'm going to have because the idea of parenting i think is oh i've got so much i want to pass on to my children right not just material things but knowledge or wisdom and um i've made a lot of mistakes in my life but because i've made these mistakes my children don't have to repeat them Right, so my children can have a better life because they they can learn from the wisdom of my experience, which is of course a fallacy, but <laughs> to a certain to a certain extent. Um, but in actual fact, to me as someone who is not a parent but is a teacher, I see raising children not as a have the gift of my experience, but oh shit, I hope I don't fuck this up. Right. And, pa- and and parenting is like risk management. Right. It's like how how little can I fuck this up to raise a well-rounded and loving, caring, compassionate human being? And every time you fuck up, it's like you've got this. Uh, it's like you're Michelangelo with this big uh, chunk of marble. Right. And each time you you do something, you imprint something into the marble and it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. But either way, you're going to end up with a statue. And whether the statue is Michelangelo's David or it's Dominic Archer's David, which is the one <laughs> I'm looking at right now. And let me tell you, he's just as fucking hunky as, uh, as Michelangelo's, if we're, if we're being honest. Um, but depending upon which way it goes, um, 
yeah i and that's kind of what this what this song is speaking to i think right it's it's i it's loudon wainwright saying i'm fucked up because my relationship with my father was fucked up and i have fucked up our relationship because i am the man that my father made me but i don't want to be the man that my father made me and i don't want you to suffer because of that and um i think i'm very lucky on the most part because i have uh, i have some very loving and compassionate father figures but i am a posi- positively and negatively uh, a mixture of the both and sure. i i see positives and negatives from both within myself um okay. and so when i when i have kids the best thing I could do, I think, is probably be one of those dads that works too much and doesn't come home. So I can I can come home and be like, hey, it's good to see you. I love you. Blah, 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 and then never talk to them about anything ever again. <laughs> and, and that, that will be it. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, nice. that's my, my 10 cents. Well, thank you for, for your dime. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, reason I, I ask is that um, thinking about... Again, I'm not a parent myself. Um, my brother is, and I, I guess I can kind of um, watch from afar and see how the decisions he's made and and things have uh, affected his his parenting and what's been passed down to his kids. Because I wonder, what I've noticed in myself is that um, benefiting from the your parents' wisdom is a really hard thing to take in because least in my experience and maybe you could you would i think you might agree in that you you say that you've had made a lot of mistakes in your life i have too and a lot of them i was warned against by my parents Mm. but Mm -hmm. the fact that they told me about them didn't teach me shit they only Mm. i had to do them for myself and then go oh okay now i've experienced this Mm. i that's a lesson that my my brain is wired to learn like it even even as an adult, sometimes if someone tries to give me advice, if I don't respect their position, even if I think they might be right, I'm still going to do what I want to do. And the real lesson comes from making the mistake, making the wrong choice and going, so that person who warned me against this was right, mm-hmm. um, but I've only just proved that now by the fact that I went against them and it, and it went badly. Um, and yes, uh, and um, interesting that you you do bring up divorce because that's a big feature in, in these, these relationships that we're talking about today with Loudon and, and with Rufus. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what you were saying about Loudon Wainwright being, uh, having a shit relationship with his father and he becoming a product of that. It's kind of, it's got in the, like, it's even, it's come even further than that because Loudon Wainwright Jr. himself had a, a distant relationship with his dad. And, and then his dad passed away when he was only 17 so he didn't really there's a bit at the beginning of surviving twin where he says that my yeah, my great granddad died when my dad was only 17 so my dad didn't even get to uh, they didn't get to that point in their relationship where my dad could go fuck you dad mm. and you know, mm. and he said that he thinks that's an important part of um of becoming a man and and your relationship with your dad is getting to mature enough or confident enough to say you know what no what you like I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I disagree with you and I'm a man now and mm. I can say that without this being without this being bratty but um yeah if I let's I'll keep I'll keep going down the line so we're going to get to why Loudon and Rufus and Martha Loudon and Loudon and his kids relationship is so fractured 
and oh here we go before and, we jump uh, into yeah. that can i yeah, can please. i ask you something b- beforehand what do you think about the american Loudon Wainwright Sr., Loudon Wainwright Jr., Loudon Wainwright III naming convention. The senior, junior, third, <laughs> the, the numeral thing. What do you think about that? Because it's interesting that all of these, um, these, these men had terrible relationships with their fathers, who, for who which they share the same name. And it's like imprinting a part of your identity onto somebody else to say, you are a product of mine, to such an extent that you even have my name. Yeah. And then I'm going to treat you like shit. <laughs> that is, that's really an odd um, tradition that I do, I do find in, uh, there's something similar happens here with like, it won't happen quite as literally, but often with friends and with my, with my family, um, people will give their children their name as the middle name. Yes. So my name so- is Dominic Alexander Archer. Uh, name. Oh, so my go. middle my middle name is my dad's name yeah exactly that's a perfect example uh, my middle names are samuel and arthur which were two of my grandparents so it's kind mm-hmm. of slightly removed but um yeah uh, one of my nephews uh, his middle name is john which is his um which is uh, my sister-in-law's dad um my dad's name is keith and I think wisely, my brother decided not to put include that in any of his children's <laughs> names should have got a big k <laughs> Harvey, well, big El- K Elliot, Elliot always refers to him as Big Keith, so maybe uh, yeah. want, put Big Keith in the middle there. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, particularly in this family's instance, because you're absolutely right, all of the instances where a Loudon passed on his name to the next Loudon, those relationships, each of them, were bad. Mm. They were like, uh, Loudon describes his relationship with his dad as a crappy relationship, and he always, the memories he has of his dad are of him being unhappy. And that that was his, that was his whole life. And even though he was a successful writer, Loudon Wainwright Jr., um, his son doesn't really think that he enjoyed that. Um, he he his memories of him are always about um, struggling to meet deadlines, being stressed, and just writing being his job. Even though, again, if you happen to watch Surviving Twin, his writing is glorious. Like the 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 grasp of language is absolutely brilliant and the way Loudon reads it actually in the show is is brilliant um but there's a it's interesting that when Loudon Wainwright the third breaks that tradition and goes no my son's gonna be called Rufus (laughs) for whatever reason I mean I love that name but um I mean Bill and Ted hadn't even come out yet so (laughs) you know that's the the only reason you name someone Rufus yeah George Carlin Bill and Ted yeah um and in the in the show, Loudon says the phone call he had to make to his mum to say, "By the way, I'm not naming your first grands." No, he actually, you know, Loudon called his great his grandmother and said, "By the way, your first great grandchild is not going to be called Loudon Wainwright the fourth. Yeah, and she couldn't really understand why. Um, but it turns out that maybe breaking that tradition, maybe this is a stretch, but it has correlated with the first instance of a father son relationship in this family being reconciled and having the capacity mm. to be healed. Um, I think there's also a lot to say about the time in history that this happens because as we'll get into, therapy was a big part of it and um, Rufus uh, coming out as gay and being like being truly himself and not repressing himself in the way that generations past m- might have done. But um, I remember from that show, Loudon goes to see his 
uh, Loudon's relationship with his dad kind of started to be- to remend a little bit around the time that he was diagnosed with cancer, Loudon Wainwright Jr. And he only had a few years prognosis. And in that time, they made a bit of an effort to try to get to know each other, really. At La- that, This is when he's Loudon's already in his 50s. And um, but he says to he says in the show that it was his dad who always said when you start when Loudon started getting record deals and recording his, his dad went use the three make sure you put Loudon where right the third and Loudon's like well well why and his dad said so no one gets us mixed up <laughs> and then it's not until that he's on his deathbed Loudon Junior's on his deathbed that um, his son says hey why did you f- like push me to go to keep the third in my performing name when your writing name was Loudon Wainwright. You never included Junior in the byline of your articles. And um, yeah, Loudon Wainwright Junior just shrugged apparently and said, well, you can have the name when I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, an odd tradition, but it has seemed to be quite poignant in the, in this family. Why did you ask? Mm. What do you think of it? Oh, I don't know. I just never even considered having a Dominic Archer Jr. Like, Jesus Christ, I'm bad enough. You know, what the hell would I want another one? Well, at least your name's interesting. Dominic Archer, I like the name. Like, even if I didn't know you, if I saw that name written down, I'd be like, that's a cool name. So having a Junior would be cool. And then you get to call him Junior. Like, like Indiana like, Jones. Like Indiana Jones. And yeah, then maybe you could have a, a grandson who's Dominic Archer the third. See, well, that... actually, now I get it. Now I get it that the ego uh, of it yeah. is is palpable. I can see that would be really yeah. cool just to not only have, you know, how everybody understands genetics and and hereditary uh, naming goes, to actually have a literal smaller version of you and then another one, mm-hmm. like Russian dolls of yourself. Getting yes, smaller yeah, smaller. the Babushka Dominics. I think it... <laughs> It, it has to be Dominic Alexander Archer the third. Da right? if you, if yeah if you're not going for the full name well, yeah I don't I don't think it works but yeah it's a, it's an interesting convention very American you never you never see it in the UK super American yeah they're they're so interested in preserving legacy aren't mm-hmm. they and, mm-hmm. and yeah anyway so why let's get into why um, Loudon essentially ended up fucking up his children the way that his dad fucked him up. <laughs> With the baseball? <laughs> not, no, not, 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 this, not uh, physically. Oh, Although, <laughs> apparently it got close on more than one Ooh. occasion. Um, so, Loudon, Loudon Wainwright III um, grows up in a fairly privileged sort of uh, lifestyle and then during the 60s decides he's going to go to San Francisco and ends up landing there right in the summer of love 1967 i think that was mm-hmm. so he's he uh, admits i think with some joy that he was part of the hippie he's a proper hippie back then so he wandered san francisco with no shoes dropping acid and just not doing really not really doing anything visiting like um free clinics once a week to get all the broken glass picked out of the bottom of his feet and stuff like that so kind of just doing his discovering himself kind of period um is, but he's only there is for... having is having broken glass pulled out of your feet discovering yourself or i mean you'd is... probably discover some levels of pain that you weren't didn't know about before yeah god infections and all kinds of that's that's yeah, going is, too far this is the late seven uh, 60s too so you know like all kinds of 
nasty oh. shit going around them. God, you would have thought he would, you, he'd learn to look at the ground and then avoid the broken glass, wouldn't you, really? But You'd think so, but maybe stubborn, being a hit... He's, he's a stubborn man. He's, he's stubborn and he's also tripping balls on acid every single day, so <laughs> he probably doesn't even realise until he starts coming down and be like, my feet hurt. Um... Um, th- at this point, his dad is uh, still uh, writing for Life magazine, but he's living in London. So there's a big detachment there, and Loudon's kind of just left to do whatever the hell he wants. But on his after the summer of love, he's coming back from the West Coast, heading back to New York, where where he's from, and he gets arrested in Oklahoma for possession of marijuana, and gets locked up, um, and ends up spending about five days in county jail because it takes about five days for message to get to his dad in London and then for his dad to get a plane from London to New York and then New York to Oklahoma and because like I say his dad is quite famous or at least well known and has money he basically uses his influence and his money to get a lawyer and to get Loudon out of out of jail and when you already have a fractured relationship with your dad and you don't really get along and you don't really like each other I found it interesting not only that he made that call but then also that his dad came. Yeah, right. Do you find do you find that a little bit hard to believe? I mean, we're very privileged to be in the internet age, um, where you go, you just do a FaceTime from San Francisco to London, and then your dad does a FaceTime to a lawyer back in San Francisco, and <laughs> yeah. he just turns up, you know. Whereas at that point, you would literally have had to flown, I guess. What are you going to do, send a telegram? Um but I can imagine that journey from London to San Francisco just being filled with bile and this just introspective self-hatred that Loudon Wainwright Jr. must feel. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, his son's fucked up, but it's his, he can feel, it's his fault that like oh if i just been stricter with him if i just now he's a fucking hippie with broken glass in his feet yeah you know like smoking uh, dope and getting arrested yeah like uh, Loudon Wainwright Jr served in the marine corps and now is you know now his son's walking around getting arrested for pot like there's this perfect mm. um generational background like we were kind of discussed previously on on other episodes that generational thing of like i served my country i fought and you're here doing this summer of love nonsense you know we talked about that in mouse didn't we yeah yeah that thing it's very it seems to carry over nicely into this one yeah because lw2 he his dad dies when he's 17 and when he's 18 he joins the marines like right. he just gets on with it and he like writes letters to his mom and is present and is very effect you know very affectionate he does his duty another a word that we throw around all the time in mm. this podcast and in the possibly never to be aired <laughs> therapy podcast <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so at the same age as he was in the marines and i think he was in the marines right uh through the second world war um his son yeah like i say is fucking bumming around doing nothing the, the, yeah. the, the line from the Simpsons of get a haircut you hippie <laughs> yeah. just, just seems so so prev- uh, so uh, uh, poignant here I um, love the, there's a great Grandpa Simpson joke where he's watching American football on the screen and he goes 
Now, Johnny Unitas, there's a haircut you can set your watch to. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's, it's, it's such a military uh, a military haircut. Oh, right. But it's, it's the episode with, uh, with Homer's mum when she becomes a hippie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And then it's like the the one quarterback is, has the haircut he can set his watch to, and then the next quarterback has the long flowing, and then uh, da, 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 comes on, and uh, Homer's mum is like, "Oh my god, flowing hair on a man <laughs> like that, sexy." Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yes, Loudon gets busted out of jail. And heads back to New York and is kind of um, starts getting into music and kind of gets. Uh, insp- Why are you chuckling? He's thinking about <laughs> yeah. The Simpsons still. <laughs> That's a haircut you could set your watch to. That's a great line. Oh, it's man. great. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense, but it's, at the same time, it makes perfect sense. Okay, it I'm does. sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, straighten up, this, soldier. Come on, here we this, go. I, I need to, yeah. That's a joke you can say you watched. <laughs> that's a joke, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're in the 1960s. We're in New York. It's the folk boom of, like, Bob Dylan and mm. Peter, Paul and Mary. And if you've seen Inside Lewin Davis, you know, all those guys. That Inside Lewin Davis, yeah. All that yeah. scene, yeah. Um, Loudon kind of gets into music around this time, is inspired. Like, he goes to, like, the gaslight and sees Bob Dylan and stuff, and that's what gets him into the idea of playing music more. He always had as a kid. His dad even played a little bit of music, but he never really took it seriously. And so it's kind of post this period. Dom, you're derailing the podcast with your giggling. I'm sorry. Do Do we need to take a break? No. No, it'll be fine. This is why I have to do most of the talking. Because otherwise, otherwise you, just, you just wander off because I'm boring you to tears, and you're just like, I'm, no. just, I'm just, just going to think about some Simpsons quotes just to pide the time. Yeah, no, you can feel free to cut all of this out. I'm sorry. Are you ready? Shall I continue? Or yes, we're we're in we're in the gaslight. It's the it's Bob Dylan's there. Bob Dylan's there, and Mountain um, Wainwright the Third's just turned up. He has turned up, and he's getting into the scene. But by the time he really gets serious. Dylan has plugged in. Dylan's gone electric. The folk uh-huh. boom dies almost as quickly as it as it as it came along. Um, but when Dylan goes electric, there's suddenly this rush on trying to sign like the new Bob Dylan, the, the, who's going to be the next Bob Dylan. Really, I think Loudon even sort of jokingly writes a song about how he was called the next Bob Dylan on um, on that album history that I mentioned. Um, but uh, Loudon starts doing open mics and doing shows and he gets signed up very quickly. Within six months of his first gig, he's signed to Atlantic Records because, again, they're just they're scrabbling to find the next Dylan. Um, and these he does a couple of albums that are just like very stripped down, just him and a guitar, a voice and a guitar, he calls it. Um, and like so many folk things, I'm just ignoring your smiling. Uh, like so many folk things, it was recorded, uh, record, uh, Reviewed really well, critically really well received, but didn't sell shit. So he yeah, does a couple of albums. Nobody likes nobody likes no. folk. No, like <laughs> I can I can totally imagine living in New York and going. Do you want to go see a folk show and be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go grab a coffee at the coffee house. There'll be a guy yeah. playing guitar. That's nice. But then to, to then go buy the LP and sit down and listen to it at home, for some reason that wasn't translating. So he gets dropped, um, and does get picked up by a different record label by Columbia. And they want to like they want to really produce him, like get a band behind him, make him radio friendly, quote unquote. Um, but he doesn't really enjoy it, and 
he's already getting a little bit bitter and falling out of love with the industry and and then he kind of records what is maybe his most famous song to date which is called like dead skunk in the road or something which is like a comedy song a novelty song nice and it's a huge hit it's played all the radio all over the country and if you were to google his top songs it's either going to be that or um the song he wrote daughter which is about his own daughter um which came came quite a bit of a hit too but during the 70s he's not happy this is where he starts to drink and this is where his philandering begins Ooh. so um and it's interesting that he talks about this with mark Marin on on wtf that being on the road he would seek out not relationships but he says just someone to go home with to save you from the television set like mm. there was nothing more depressing to him than being alone in a strange place in a hotel watching tv like he just so he would use his under, undeniable good looks and charm and you know he was married at this point um i don't think rufus had been born yet this is uh, probably around that time actually yeah rufus was born in 73 so this starts to be a problem his it's an addiction not only to alcohol but also to the philandering that he can't seem to stop himself but and this is where the first kind of stakes are uh uh are struck in the in the family unit but him being him he writes songs about it he right so he's not trying to hide the fact that this is what he, he's doing he, he never tries to hide it and he never has like um secret girlfriends or mistresses or anything he would just sleep around on the road and you know one night stands thanks very much see you later um but i think the fact that he was so open about it i suppose there's no there's no good way to handle this when you have a family either you keep mm. it a secret well let's obviously start with the fact that doing it in the first place is shitty and fucked up and then when you come home you either keep it a secret and keep try and keep that those two lives separate or you go yeah, I've slept with a lot of women these last few months on the road and uh, I'm going to write some songs about it so the whole country can hear them. Mm. And so at that point, he's married to uh, Kate McGarrigal, who's, who was a country, uh, sort of a folk singer in her, her own right, but that obviously ends up in divorce. And then, yeah, these and real... And she's, she's the mother of Rufus and Martha, right? She's the Martha, uh, the Martha of Rufus and Mother, yes. Martha! Martha! Um, so, yeah, that marriage that's the first of his doomed marriages um mm. i think he's married twice in total both divorced he had some some long-term relationships in there too which he had fathered children but then they didn't work out and i think he's had he's got four children three of which became singers songwriters um so there's definitely something in the in the genes there but i want to play you another song now break up all this oh, here we go this 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 lecture this was a song um, again, very uh, honest song that he wrote as a sort of a confessional um, about well, some of the darker times as a father trying to raise his children. Uh, the title kind of says an awful lot. It's called Hitting You. Oh, dear. Yeah. So um, here we go. Long ago I hit you We were in the car You were crazy in the backseat It had gone too far And I pulled the auto over 
hit you with all my might I knew right away it was too hard and I'd never make it right I was aiming for your buttocks but I struck your outer thigh You had on a bathing suit and right before our eyes Suntan skin turned crimson where the hand had hit And my palms stung from hitting you so hard that I hurt it Against the law in Sweden, charges can be filed. Here it's all too common, a parent hits a child. On your face I saw the shock and then I saw the pain. Then I saw the look of fear, the fear I'd strike again Then I saw your anger, your defiant pride And then I saw one tear drop, the rest you kept inside I said I was sorry, I tried to clean the slate But with that blow I'd sown a seed, I saw it was are awful between me and you all we do is argue like two people who are through I blame you your friends your school your mother and MTV last night I almost hit you that blame belongs to me long ago I hit you we were in the car you were crazy in the back seat it had gone too far and I pulled the auto over and hit you with all my might I knew right away it was too hard I'd never make it right so there you go mm. talk about frank honesty in, in a song what did you what did you make of it I think you couldn't ever release that song today <laughs> no well maybe you could because it's kind of like a retrospective like you know but why, why do you think that you couldn't release it today I think if you honestly wrote a song about hitting your child today they'd kick you off the record label and uh, the, the social media campaign against you would be so huge <laughs> well yeah I suppose if you were if you were pop sure but if you're underground, I mean, this is the kind of thing I think that would be maybe lauded as being honest and know. it's not yeah. meant for radio, yeah. is it? <laughs> no, but no, I think, yeah, that's, that's can be the, the difficulty with honesty and um, to go slightly off topic, I think it's um, a corruption of art that we see today where um what's the the famous the famous quote of uh artists use lies to tell the truth 
Oh, it's, I like that. It's it's from a movie or or a book or something. I'm sure it's going to turn out to be Alan Moore or something. Or something. <laughs> We're both typing it in to see who can get there first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Alan Moore. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> v for Vendetta. Yeah, of course. Artists use lies to tell the truth. Um. But I think part of um, the the difficulty that we have now is that because we have different ideas of what is an acceptable truth, the art has become diluted and corrupted because we're unwilling to um, to face the truth of people and and with with honesty and with um, Uh, with 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 honesty, with understanding, and with compassion, um, because in this song it's it's a clear example of a man who is filled with regret. And again, it's that it's that thing of artists, uh, musicians are not the songs that they write in the same way that an author is not the characters that they write. You know, and that that for me is is especially a big problem now, where. Um, it's like, oh my god, I can't believe that you wrote your character doing this. And it's like, yeah, but I'm not the character. Right? <laughs> I am I am the writer telling a story. If the character does bad things, it's because this is fictional. And I am not saying that doing bad things is is, is correct. And so while you can look at Loud and Wayne right and go, oh, he's being very honest. Um at the same time, the, the artist is not their art. There is there is a separation between them. Um, but as you said, we were listening. There's there's the line in the second verse where he says, um, to paraphrase, he says, uh, "Hitting your child is against the law in Sweden, where charges can be filed. Here, it's all too common that a parent hits a child." And you say, "I don't. Why is that line even in there? That it's against yeah. the law in Sweden." But that's the line that rings the closest to me in terms of honesty through this song because the rest of it is him telling you know telling the story of of hitting his child and regretfully telling the story that he did it but that line where he says against the law in sweden goes to show that he feels that he should face punishment for it right it's not just it's not just that he did it and he feels bad about it and oh it ruined our relationship and I wish I hadn't done it but that what he did was so extreme that there is no punishment in the country large enough to uh, to account for the actions that he took whereas if he was in Sweden he would be you know charges would be filed and rightfully so is what I feel what I feel from from that bit and so it's looking in the mirror and seeing uh, what should be a felon, but instead, you know, it's all too common. Here, it's all too common that, that a, a parent hits a child. And I think it was in, in Scotland last week where I th- I think, I might be just completely making this up, but the where it was in, enshrined in law, right? It is now completely illegal to, to uh, not to, just, obviously if you slap your child, that's one thing, but to like spank your child, this kind of taking physical action against your child. Um, and what I think is really interesting about this song is where in, again, in the beginning of that, um, 
that second verse, he tries to justify it, right? He says, I was aiming, I was aiming for your, your bottom, but I struck your outer thigh, right? Go to show, well, if it, I, if I had just been hitting your, hitting your bottom, you know, like, like spanking you for being, for misbehaving, that's one thing, right? But I missed and I, and it, it's an, an interesting conversation to have about is, um, his intention may not have been to to seriously harm, but by missing, he uh, he did cause serious harm, and this kind of ties back into our shining episode a little bit, I think, about parents who who harm their child, um, and instantly regret it the minute that they do. Right, there is a, yeah. a, mo- a mo- that momentary loss of muscular coordination, and <laughs> yeah. uh, to to quote the shining, and um. Uh, and then it, it stays with you for the rest of your life and mm. haunted by it. Yeah, and this is so, clearly yeah. a, a man who's haunted by it. Definitely. I mean, he lays that out in the in the first verse, right before that, where he says, I hit you with, uh, I pulled the auto over and hit you with all my might. I knew right away it was too hard and I never make it right. Mm. And that kind of, he that, that motif kind of re- repeats itself about how it's never, it's too late. Like what's been, what's done has been done and it will never be, it can never be repaired. Um, so it's, it's yeah. So what you were saying about him almost trying to justify it by saying he was aiming for the buttock or whatever, he before that he admits that he hit with all his might. It wasn't, it wasn't a reprimand. It wasn't a what Dylan Moran calls physically educating your child. It's <laughs> he hit him with all of his might, and it, it doesn't it doesn't specify what age, and we know which of the children he hit, but it wasn't yeah he completely let his anger and his temper take over um and and he and the later on in the song um where is it uh essentially that he if things haven't really changed oh yeah these days things are awful between me and you all we do is argue like two people who are through and he goes on to say like last night i almost hit you mm. and that blame belongs to me so mm. but he's he's writing this song in 1992 or it's released in 92 which yeah. means assuming that the song is about Rufus, Rufus is nineteen years old, eighteen years old at this point. Yeah, so it's by the time already... by the time the song is released, so now it's gone from you are a small child, and I I tried to discipline you, but I made a mistake and went too far. Into now you are a man in your own right, and as a man, I was close to acting violently towards you. Yeah. yeah yeah which is which says a whole a whole other thing and is indicative of of that relationship at that time and uh sort of uh later on uh, well i think i read an article an interview with rufus um from not that long ago and he said there were times when um they could have killed each other and i think he says um i wish i was speaking figuratively but that it was pretty hairy at times so this kind of physical side to their relationship seems like it began way back when they were children and it it continued in until they were until they were adults um but uh yeah i find it very interesting that you um it doesn't it, you don't see the song as being completely completely genuine and completely um truthful because because it's through the lens of art and say say if he had um written this as an as a like like his dad did he'd written an editorial about this that would be different than the fact that he's put it to music 
and that does that add a not like a guarantee of of um of fictionalization but at least a a hint or a possibility yeah i i don't know if i'm not saying it's that it's not completely honest um i think this is more honest than a lot of music that you are going to get today because when Loudon Wainwright releases this song, he's clearly not concerned about the repercussions of releasing this song. Yeah. Right. This is this is music and art that has come um, that has come well from the heart. And he is not thinking, oh, if I release this, I'm going to lose my my recording contract because I've written a song about beating my child. Hmm. Right. Which I feel like if you went to Universal Music today or Atlantic Records and said, oh, I've got a song about when how, you know, when my son was was five years old, I I beat him one time. Um, That's going to be a lot more difficult to sell, I think, now than 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 it would have been than it would have been back then. Definitely. But it's interesting. This is um, sorry. No, go ahead. No, as you say, it's it's really difficult because. It's really difficult because he's choosing to release this track, right? And what is the purpose behind releasing the, releasing the song? Hmm. And um, well, that's what I was going to just about to say. Sorry hmm. to butt in, is that this um, this track is off of the album History, which is the one that he wrote direct right after his father died, and a lot of the tracks on this album are of this kind of very truthful ilk like he's exercising a lot of his demons um uh the actually at the end of this the, this is the same album that has a father and son on it and uh the very end of the album is, there's actually a song that was written by his dad back when he was young so I, I do feel like he's trying to go through a process of perhaps turning grief into understanding or um, as I said, with this memoir and the show that he's done very recently, last few years, this is back in '92, but maybe this was the beginning of his forgiveness process. And and very aptly, uh, in uh, his interview with um, Mark Maron, he says, uh, "If you can't forgive your parents, then you can't forgive yourself." Mm. Okay. So, and on that timeline, it is this is '92, and he's maybe trying to forgive his dad, and then it's and decades later that. Well, maybe not decades plural, but throughout the nineties uh, and two thousands is when he starts to try and to repair things with his children. But that takes time, takes time too. And and calling the album history as well, I think, is quite telling mm. as to perhaps that's what the point of putting it out was. And he wasn't on a big label at this point. He was on Downtown Records, so he he'd left Atlantic or they dropped him. Then he'd been on Columbia, which are both big labels, and they they left him behind. So at this point, I, th- I don't know much about Downtown Records, but it seems like this is one of those labels where as long as you make the money back that we put into it, we'll keep you on because you're a name like people mm. from in the folk scene who remember you from the seventies and eighties, they'll, they'll, they'll come back and buy it. Mm. But it ain't going to be yeah, played look, on the radio. Just, like I said. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Just looking it up uh, on this album, a father and son, which we listened to earlier is dedicated to Rufus and mm. hitting you is dedicated to Martha to his, oh, to is his it? daughter. Okay. All right, but that that again 
twists the especially that line in in the final uh the final sense of you looking at of i i almost hit you again um yeah at that point she's probably uh, a teenager still right yeah yeah and oh, i don't know it becomes weird when you're talking about a father hitting a son and a father hitting a daughter it takes on a whole other kind of connotation and again when they're when they're children and they're misbehaving in the back seat and you think well, i'm just gonna spank them on the bottom to tell them that they're you know they're being wrong not to justify spanking your children but from the mindset of where they're coming from yeah um you know i'm just gonna slap them on the bum let them know to stop being silly and then we're gonna move on but you miscalculate you snap you hit you know you really hit them really you know um when they're children it's uh with a very different intention to when they are teenagers because he's not thinking you my 17 year old daughter i'm just going to slap your bottom for being so silly it's like an actual physical act of of aggression against you know and uh yeah it takes on a very different uh, a very different meaning it does yeah and it makes it it does change the way i'm thinking about it and looking at it and it makes it more interesting that he is so frank about it mm-hmm. and speaking about it honestly because um but again, right, this is this is kind of the problem, is that with this song, he's not saying, long ago I hit you, Martha, when you were in the car, right? The song is dedicated to Martha, but it's not, and Father and Son is dedicated to, to Rufus, but that's a, a clearer track because it's called Father and Son, right? And it's clearly yeah, discussing the relationship between Father and Son. So while we can assume from the dedication that he's singing about her, um, I get it's weird. Why do you dedicate this song to your daughter? What yeah. do you what What do you want your daughter to get out of out of this song? Because assuming that it's written for her, it's dedicated to her. What do you want her to get? Right? Do you want her to understand? your regret over your actions that it's you've led a complicated life that you you know you've made mistakes and you want to make up for them that you're you're not a perfect person but you want to like what yeah it's um it's strange it's to, to, to put it's yeah it's complicated to put that out there and um like who i suppose if you're we again there's neither of us a parent so we can't properly relate to this but maybe putting this out isn't going to completely not um, destroy any sympathy that you would get from people um mm-hmm. maybe there are there will be people who listen to it and go been there man mm-hmm. like I, I get it like well if I, if I can get personal and tell me you can tell me if you don't want to say it but as did it ever happen to you did were you uh physically educated in that way or was your was your reprimanding much uh, less violent no, never. I I was never never hit as a kid, even not not once. Um, not even a little tap on the bum or the back of the legs. No, like no. But it is as a as a teacher working abroad. Um, I've seen children crying coming into class, and uh, the I remember very clearly. I just started teaching in a country I don't want to name because I don't want to to badmouth anyone. Um, but the parent dragged their their child into class, and the child was was crying. It was a father and a son. Coincidentally, 
and the child was crying. He didn't want to come to class. It was Saturday. He wanted to, you know, go play with his friends or whatever. And um, his father sat him down and left the room. And then the, the kid stood up, ran out of the classroom to his dad. His dad picked him up, carried him back, slapped him down, sat him down and across the face in front of the other students in the class, in front of me, in front of everyone. Jesus. Uh, got the, the teaching assistant to come upstairs and, and who could translate and uh, translated, if he keeps doing that, you've got my permission to hit him as well. And then left the class and went and... Um, how, uh, how old are these kids? Five or six. Jeez. And that, that's a, that was a really difficult moment for a lot of us. <laughs> there's, oh, there's no doubt. But if that happened in the UK, I would be intervening, having that parent removed, calling the authorities and reporting them. Right. Yeah. Because that's the necessary structure for that to be in place. But when I... W- because I was in another country, I went to my manager and when this happened, and they said, oh, it's the culture here. And that is a really big fucking hurdle to overcome when you go to another country. Because you're in another country, you know, you're, you're in the culture, you have to respect, you have to respect elements of it. You know, you are a, a stranger in a strange land. And just like how, you know, you'll get Brexit people with, with this country saying, oh, well, when Muslim people come here, they should respect our culture and, and, and stuff like that. You can't then turn around, go to another country and say, oh, I can't believe you do that. Yeah. Right. And that's that is part of my problem with um, with the way that that left wing politics is, is dealt with these days. It's, um, we believe this, so every other country should also believe this, right? Um, I think, like, gay marriage is, is a good example, right? We're, we're very firmly in, in favour of gay marriage in this country, rightfully so. It's where our politics have led us, and we've evolved to the point where we can have gay marriage in this country. You're goddamn right. But I'm not going to turn around to Indonesia... And say, Indonesia, it is ridiculous that your very religious, uh, your very religious country that does not have a history of the evolution of gay rights, it should have gay marriage tomorrow because it's not my culture, it's not my place, and each culture is going to evolve separately. And to try and put my political beliefs onto another culture is like political imperialism, and. We can't demonize the old forms of imperialism and say it was really terrible how we went to India and then we, you know, we we basically forced them into becoming slave labor and then we took all of their tea and we took all of their products, we took all their money and then we, we just left them. Um, you can't demonize that while saying, yeah, but everyone should follow our basic ideology. Um, and so it's re- it, it was really difficult being in that classroom and seeing that and realizing the next time that happens in the classroom, I have to actively stop it, right? Yeah. Because I cannot allow a child in my care to be hurt in my care, right? Like, that's a, like that cannot be allowed, and it never happened again. But at the same time, I can't go to an authority and say, this parent is hurting their child, and you should do something about it, because it's not my culture to 
to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Um, and there's only a very few times in my... This is very off-topic now for, for, for daddy issues, but there's only a few times in my teaching career where I've had to actually be like, we need to talk about something. And because in, it's written in my contract that I must respect and follow the rules and regulations of this country, right? It, it, it is against my contract to, to critique the culture or the government. And if I do, then I can be fired and even deported for it, right? Um, and the own, there's very, very few times. The main one was when there was, um, again, I'm, I'm very close to revealing what country this is. There was a, a rapper from this country who was caught doing drugs. And um, the police arrested him and made him come out on national television and say, this isn't who I am. I wasn't raised to be the kind of person who does this kind of thing. It's because I got into rap and hip hop and African-American culture that I started doing drugs and misbehaving and doing bad things. This was the government release right there was put they said it's because of african-american culture that i started doing drugs and i started doing all of this so the next day i went into my class and i did 32 different lessons on the evolution of because i had 32 classes so i did the same lesson 32 times i did the, the same lesson about the evolution of hip-hop the racism in african-american relations and how hip-hop was influenced by that um, it was like, where, who are NWA? Where did they come from? You know, all the way up to like uh, up to J. Cole and going part of the part of the government release was uh, the, the misogyny that I have been exposed to also comes from African-American culture. Right. And I, I act badly towards our women because I've been influenced by another culture. It's not something from our country that we treat women badly like this. Right. And so I went. J. Cole is one of the top five most popular, you know, hip-hop artists at, at this point in time. It was then, at least. And here's a whole song he wrote about washing clothes for his partner when she's pregnant because he doesn't want her to have to do extra work, right? Yeah. Like, uh, like this, this is uh, a racist comment and uh, it can't be... I can't allow you to perceive another culture in the way you're being told to perceive it. That's the only time, right? I'm not here to tell you your culture is wrong, but the way you the way you are being told to view another culture it has been twisted. And and that's that's the only the only time I've ever You can edit all of this out. This is just No, me, no, that, me I think that was awesome. Cuz that's that's 32 classrooms full of young people in that country that are yeah, being fed misinformation about the West, which I presume is part of the reason you're there, is to help educate them about the West. So to actually impart some useful and positive uh, thinking around these kind of things, I think that was really cool. Well yeah, done, Dom. You'll be making well, the world a better place. Well, yeah, thank you. But at the same time, I did have to, I know, I did watch a father hit their child in my classroom and not immediately. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's that's it's really hard. It's and that's yeah. something that will will stick with me for a long time. Is my I'm failure sure. in yeah with within that moment. Well, um, yeah, but, but you've also, already outlined but, the reasons why that wasn't a failure. You just yeah, you know, the culture is different. Exactly what yeah. you said. But, yeah, but also you you don't you don't expect it as well. And I think going back to this mm. song to 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 hitting you as well. Back to back to the the Loudon Wainwright track. 
it is one of those things that comes apart comes up in the heat of the moment that is very rarely premeditated of oh I'm gonna hit my kid it's like a boiling point as, as Loudon yeah. Wainwright is, is doing here and I think there are a lot of other parents mothers who have seen their 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 husband do this to their kids or husbands that have seen you know seen their uh, seen their partner do it do it to their kids as well who feel that same that same feeling and that goes back to the shining the shining conversation as well where um you have uh you have danny's mum haunted by her failure to protect her her child in that moment yeah um yeah and uh it's you know both parents feel ashamed of feel ashamed of themselves within this this context i think yeah yeah totally i think um i just i was never like i was i was what's the word corporal punishment was something that in what well, we were being uh, we were growing up so i was never hurt by my parents out of anger but getting the wooden spoon across the back of the legs across the bum was the scariest thing that existed in the first let's say i don't know it's up till about the age of 14 where i stopped being scared of it because neither my parents could actually make it hurt anymore <laughs> i got big enough that, <laughs> right. like I, I got big enough that if I, my dad went you go get the wooden spoon i'd be like oh no and i'd walk off and be like sweet getting away with this one and i'd pretend to <laughs> get hurt and be like oh yeah i've learned my lesson um but yeah, Go and get I guess. the cheese grater. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah, oh and you like tape it on the end of the wooden spoon, and then just. Like, <laughs> oh Christ! Um, but uh, I certainly don't harbour any <laughs> any resentment to my parents for for that kind of uh, education. But um, anyway, shall we move? Well, let's move on um, to the next part of this story, which is how Rufus and Martha, as adults and as singer songwriters themselves, mm. kind of fired shots back at their dad. And since we just talked about hitting you and you brought to my attention that that was dedicated to Martha, I'm going to play you a song that was um, by Martha. And actually, uh, their relationship wasn't quite as fractured as far as I can understand as Loudon and Rufus's was. And actually, when Martha was young and started to become a musician, Loudon would take her on tour and she would be his opening act. And she would play this song as part of her opening act. And it... Um, Loudon had no idea it was about him until much later. So this song is called Bloody Motherfucking Asshole. Poetry is no place for a heart that's a whore. And I'm young and I'm strong, but I feel old and tired. Over fire And I've been poked and stoked It's all smoke, there's no more fire Only desire For you ever you are For you ever you are Oh, you say my time here has been some sort of joke That I've been messing around Some sort of incubating
to do everything in truth. You bloody motherfucking asshole. Are you bloody motherfucking asshole? 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 Are you bloody? So we don't have to get too too much in, into that, but I think it is quite interesting to listen to that one after listening to Hitting You and knowing that that was about her. Um, and yeah, as, I, as I said before we started listening to it, Loudon had no idea that was about him until one, one night at a show um, in New Jersey, quite a big show on the tour. She um, says, for the very first time, as she introduced the song, this song's about my dad, and then sings that. And then Loudon has to come out afterwards and be like, um, hi, everyone. Uh, so that was my daughter. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there are some interesting interesting uh, uh, parts of that song. I'm sure you'll agree that relate to what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some really interesting choices just artistically within that. Firstly, the, the final verse, I guess, you bloody motherfucking asshole is a really interesting choice because up until then there hasn't been any swearing at all yeah there has right other than maybe there's the word whore at the beginning if you um, count that as a swear word you have no idea what it's like to be on your own in your home with your fucking phone with, okay well yeah with the, with the phone but it's not until that point she ruins it as a radio song yeah yeah. Right. Like up until then, the song could absolutely be played on the radio, and they could just mute the one, the one for phone. But yeah. you can't mute that final, that final verse. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's a radio version with that removed. But then, what do you rename the song? Like it's, it's all very deliberate because she's limiting the audience that her art can be perceived by, by can maintaining that verse in there. Um, I also think it's really interesting looking at the rhyming structure and um the the loudon wainwright song the first one we listened to was it father and son a father and a son yeah a father and a son uh and to me the structure looked looked very similar uh i'm trying to try to find it quickly but i can't remember how to spell wainwright (laughs) So that that um, end of the end of the verse bit where they repeat the same line yeah. twice, she does that. She does that in her one, and he does it in Father and Son oh, as well. And so it's I don't I can't say that it's a direct correlation, but there is a kind of musical handshake that that the two of them are doing through hmm. through their tracks. Um, yeah. Which is which is really interesting. Um, I mean, <laughs> like I said, we don't have to go in- uh, super into it. I wanted to shout it out because um, I think it's important to because we were this is um, you know it was a father and son kind of conversation, daddy issues. Yeah. We all know what it's about. Um, so him and Rufus is kind of uh, I think the the crux of of the conversation, but I think it's important to 
point out that Martha was, was there too, and she went for a very similar experience, and mm. and she she got one got one back at him as well in well, sim in the same yeah, way that that Loudon kind of would be honest and open about what he's done and how he feels. His um, apparently what he Martha that's very much Martha's sensibility to be provocative and say what she's not supposed to say quote unquote supposed to say um in a kind of in more of an artistic way i feel than than loudon who is just like going hey i'm just being honest here she mm. she kind of shouts it more she's more yeah. of, of um what's the word evocative i suppose but she's speaking through metaphor yeah and he's not Mm. Right, Loudon yeah, Wainwright doesn't I mean. speak through metaphor. Yeah, yeah, he just says, "I hit you, and I feel really bad about it." <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas she's she's using um, poetry much more much more than he is. I mean, the first word of the song is poetry. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely, literally. Yeah. yeah. In um in that memoir I mentioned that Loudon wrote, he admits that he's that he was part of what um influenced or affected his behavior and how he was was around his children as they were getting older was that he was jealous of their musical gifts mm. and it's again an, another instance of just being like of being purely honest and saying i was shitty dad and what probably didn't help is that i thought they were both really talented and that didn't yeah. make me feel good that didn't make give me feel me with pride and love that made me go man that's not fair <laughs> Yeah, right. Which is yeah, which is not ideal, but um, I suppose what I suppose what we'll get to now is about Loudon and Rufus and and their relationship. And I mentioned before that they he uh, Rufus has said that there were times where they could have killed each other. They they were that much at odds and and butted heads to such an extent. And I think I've. I don't think there was ever, I don't get the sense there was a big reconciliation of I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love you, I love you, let's have a hug. I think it's been a much more strained and uh, mature but still quite cold um, re uh, repair. And I know that, like I mentioned before, they went to, they went to therapy together, which was very proactive and I'm sure very positive mm. experience. But Rufus says that it kind of became simpler for him or clearer for him when he and his husband had a child of their own um so he says in this article that um at the end of a they went for a walk together and he turns to his dad and he says you know dad being a dad now myself i'm aware of how wonderful it is when a child voluntarily hugs their parent yeah so i'm gonna do that to you now and so so he says yeah i, I turn around give him a big hug and a kiss and i think that was a good move is it kind of was again i get the feeling that that wasn't a great um they didn't mend any wounds they just rufus decided to move on mm. not so much that you know his dad had changed and um after loudon put out his memoir rufus said uh that he's still loudon and again he calls him loudon he didn't say he's still my dad he says loudon is still loudon you've got to understand loudon is one of the great waspy father figures of all time he, ha he has firmly implanted his persona in this male white heterosexual zone and again he just he's dividing up lines uh, putting dividing lines between himself and his dad calling him one of the great waspy father figures um um and 
saying about him being a male white heterosexual, which obviously two of those apply to Rufus himself, but he went, uh, he found himself as a homosexual man. And that's another thing that's been a difference, but I, and I couldn't find anything related to <laughs> perhaps his dad's, if he had any problem with um, his son's sexuality or not, I don't know, but um, over time, I guess things do mend just on their own. And uh, uh, Loudon said in that interview with Mark Maron that Rufus and Martha got older, got banged around in the world and had kids of their own. And he gets the sense that there's just some forgiveness floating around now. So it's still fractured. And uh, he mentions about, you know, awkward <laughs> Thanksgiving dinners and things where things still come up and things still get heated. But we have been talking about this for a while. <laughs> so we'll, we'll try and we'll try and wrap up. Um, I want to. Is there anything you wanted to 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 add before I play you the final song of uh, of our slew? No, not really. I think it's it's just interesting looking at at the two of them, and again that generational difference that was clearly so prominent with um, with Wainwright the second and Wainwright the third. Yeah. And how one of them was uh, was a marine, and then the other one was some hippy dippy glass in his feet kind of dude. But then the hippy dippy glass in his feet kind of dude is described as the waspy character, right? Yeah. So that's an interesting an interesting journey to have gone on, where he always considered himself counterculture, but to his son, he was the embodiment of. Uh, of what a, of a father authority figure was. It wasn't like a, a hippie, a hippie upbringing with peace and love for all. It was, um, you know, sometimes he'd get drunk and, and hit his kids, and that's a, a, a big counterpoint to where you would um, expect Loudon Wainwright the Third to have gone based on his own relationship with his father i guess yeah no that's that's a great observation yeah well said um okay so i'll play we'll play the last song which is the our a song from rufus um it's called dinner at eight and it was um it was actually on the album the when i first got into rufus wainwright this was the the album that went out and bought was called want one and he has he's an actually kind of similar um, on the same lines as that whole um, naming tradition of uh, Loudon Wainwright, first, second, and third. Rufus Wayne, sorry, Loudon Wainwright named his albums album one, album two, album three, and then gradually started to come up with more and more unique titles. Rufus did a similar thing with um, the album that this song is on, Want One, as in W A N T O N E, Want One. And then the next album was called Want Two and et cetera, et cetera. So again, a kind of, even though that relationship was fractured, he's kind of borrowed his dad's mm. naming scheme for his albums, which is which is interesting. But um, yeah, we're going to listen to Dinner at Eight and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. No matter how strong I'm going to take you down with one little stone gonna break you down and see what you're worth what you're really worth to me 
So as far as uh, trying to encapsulate perhaps the, the maybe the worst times between himself mm. and his dad, 
do you think uh, he does a pretty good job of that? Yeah, he seems to. I was looking at the Wikipedia page for that song while we were while we were listening to it to mm. uh, look at the story behind it and, and the actual event. Did you have some notes on on that? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay, well, for, from what I was just reading about the song, because this is the first time I've heard it, uh, Rufus Wainwright was talking about it, and he said, uh, we'd just done a shoot for Rolling Stone together, the, mag- the magazine Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah, that one. And Yeah, that, that, that one. And I told him he must be really happy that I got him back in the magazine after all these years. Oh, shit. And, and that sort of kicked things off. Uh, later in the evening, he threatened to kill me, so I went home and wrote dinner at uh, eight as a vindictive retort to his threat. Wow. Um, I didn't he know says, that. Um, he says later on, um, Dinner at Eight is a good representation of his uh, relationship with his father, where it starts a little rough, but ultimately um, is a love song. It's a song about their love. And um, he says of his father, um, Loudon Wainwright III, has, for better or worse, no filter whatsoever for what he does. And I admire that, because never have I known a more tormented artist than him. And I mean that respectively, because he's just so affected by his artistic radar. We've had our feuds uh, on my part with Dinner at Eight, but I tend to be a little more romantic in my songs. He lives out every word of his. And that's interesting, because it kind of... Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we were saying um, about about hitting you and then Martha's retort to him, where, again, she is writing poetically and he is just straight up, here is, here is the truth. And, again, this is that, that mix of metaphor and art in being honest. And it's interesting as to which one you perceive to be more honest, if either, would be a, would be dinner at eight versus father and son or or hitting you, because the Rufus Wainwright again it he is not referencing his father's work in the same way that his sister does. I mm. think for for what yeah Martha's they do doing sound is, is a clear very connection. different. Rufus is a real sound apart from Martha, who does sound a bit like a bit like Loudon. He's got this. Uh, the word I have read about his song, his music, is baroque, and I don't really know mm-hmm. like baroque pop, and I don't really know what that means. But somehow it seems very apt to me. Maybe I've I've uh, heard the word before, but yeah, sort of a bit glam and a little bit baroque, but different from that sort of stripped down folky sound of his dad and his sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, again, it's it's a it's a song that really takes its time with telling you how he's feeling as well right it's it's a slow song he holds out the notes of the different verses he's not in a hurry to try and to try and get through the song yeah um it's it's very much about trying to impart the the torment and um dragging that out so you can't you can't escape it unless you just turn off the song really Mm. Um, but yeah, what what have you got? What have you got to uh, to say about it? Well, no, I'm so glad that you um did that bit of look uh, looked that bit up because I I think it's very um pertinent to the to their story that 
Rufus calls it um, a love song and speaks of his dad as being the most tortured artist uh, that he knows um, when it seems like loud, uh, it seems like Loud and Wainwright Jr. and the third had much less involvement with each other's lives than Loud and Wainwright the third did with Martha and with Rufus. Mm-hmm. The, the, the relationship with their mother broke down but it seems they were very often in each other's company and more often than not it was fractious and unpleasant so the way that Rufus can empathize with his dad even though from the outside it would seem that absence was the key in 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 the two Loudons relationship whereas he can still yeah find that empathy in a relationship that seems to be punctuated by a lot of screaming and shouting death threats and uh, physical violence at some point and a really he seems to um, give his dad the benefit of the doubt and say your dad did worse to us than you've done sorry your dad mm. did worse to you than you've done to us mm. yeah yeah i don't really have much more to add to that i well, think you've done a, a great job of summarizing there we go i'm so, glad um yeah that was that was a great discussion and i'm 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 glad we've got to talk about it because uh, it's been, I guess it's been on my mind for a, for a long time when thinking about father mm. and son stuff. And I got to talk about music again, which is always exciting for, for me. Yeah. Um, so thanks very much for your time. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And thanks to anyone who's listened all the way to the end. <laughs> I'll always uh, I keep looking at the clock thinking no one's going to listen this far. So if anybody has much love and much appreciation, um, I think we have an idea about what we're going to be doing for our, the next episodes, do we not? Oh. <laughs> either either Dom's the... excited or he's shivering with fear. I'm not sure. Oh, shivering with anticipation. <laughs> because this is this is one that uh, we've been thinking about doing for a while, but we've really been waiting for um, for the climax. And we're going to fucking talk about the mandalorian next week yes we are next friday will be the last episode of season two yeah did you see the previous episode the one that just released on friday i just watched it before we started recording today ah so i know you i know we're gonna we'll talk about it next week but i saw that and thought dave's gonna like that episode yeah i've liked this whole season so i'm excited to talk about it in depth with you but um yeah i will leave it at that been a lovely time and i uh, hope anyone else has enjoyed it too and we'll look forward to seeing you next time when we talk about the mandalorian on on disney plus and i want to try and sign off with the theme song but i'm on the spot and i'm nervous and i've forgotten how it goes so take it away don and I'm just going to fade this out. Keep going. There we go. That's that's it.